seat. We'll go ahead and get going. My ringer so you don't know who I'm rooting for today. By the way, did anybody notice Pete's bright orange shoes? He, he's a diehard, diehard Seahawks fan, so he's, you know, <laughs> just kidding. He skinned a Bronco and made those out of it. Um, just play. Hey, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I, the last time I had a chance to be up here, I talked about the purpose and vision of Lighthouse Church. And one of the things I mentioned was we are a church that is about two things. We want to love one another. And we want to, to lead one another into a more personal, passionate, and productive relationship with Jesus. And I talked about the fact that, you know, we're really, I, I would say, very, very good at that first part of loving one another. The ways that I have seen you guys show up when somebody is hurting the meals that have been showered upon people. The ways that we, um, you know, even just watching you interact right now. We love one another well. But... If that's the only thing that we do as a church, if that's what the fruit that's being cultivated, the only thing, then we're missing the major point of it. And that is a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. That is our primary focus as a church, needs to be. Un I will unapologetically say that needs to be the point. And that is an area that I feel like as a church we're still growing in. I'd love to see us even more deeply that when you come in, you don't expect just to find out information about Jesus, you expect to have an encounter with the living God. Because if we are not growing in our ability to both recognize our lead shepherd's voice and follow him, then we're missing the point altogether. Um, and one of the ways in which we can begin to go about doing that is to become more familiar with the book that talks about him, this book that reveals his heart to us. You know, and for some of us, the only time that we ever really get into this book or anything in this book is, you know, on Sundays when we talk about a verse or two out of it. Other times, um, for some of us, we don't really love to read the Bible for one of two reasons. Maybe because we don't necessarily see how it all fits together. Thank you, guys. I know they're working on the, the mic right now. Uh, we don't really see how it all fits together, and so we just kind of avoid it altogether. Or... We don't necessarily see this as relevant for our life. Not all that relevant, so we avoid it again like the plague. And then there are some of us, that's better, there are some of us who have grown up in the church, we're familiar with the Bible, we've read it a bunch, but at times it becomes dry, doesn't it? Just kind of feels like, it feels like work to read it. And maybe in some, of the, so some of the reason for that is that we have gotten so focused on the little trees that we, we fail to like step back sometimes and just kind of take in the grand panoramic view that Scripture provides us. And so the point of this next 15 weeks, because we are embarking on a new study, a new series called His Story, because I believe that all of history ultimately is His story. And specifically, what is found in Scripture is God's story. And over the next 15 weeks, we are going to embark on a journey through Scripture to explore what this has to tell us about our God, to look at the grand epic narrative that is revealed in Scripture. Now, before you start hyperventilating, we are not going to go into every single book and look at every single verse on every single page. We don't have time for that. I mean, we could start reading from the moment, you know, 
that we came into church for, and for 15 weeks and we would never even get, you know, probably past Deuteronomy or something like that. Instead, what we're going to do is we are going to kind of step back and get a big panoramic view of the big God story. We are going to, we are going to follow the thread from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And in that process, we're going to do, you know, three things. One, I would love for you guys to become more familiar with God's story. Secondly, I'd love for you to be able to find your place in that story because we all have a part in this. We get to play. And that's the beautiful testimony about Scripture. And then thirdly, I'd love for us to become so familiar with it that we can begin to share it with others. That when, we, when people talk about us, ask us, you know, what is the Bible? What is it all about? We'd actually be able to answer that question other than, well, it's the book that we read for church. Um, toward that end, today really is an intro. I wanted to use today as a springboard into this. And so what I want to do today is I want to I wrestle with three questions. Question number one, what is the Bible? I think that there are some of us who just, you know, we look at it and we don't really quite know how to understand it. I used to think that the Bible literally, I, I never would have articulated this way, but I kind of viewed it as the Bible just fell from heaven one day. And I open it now and I can read it and not necessarily accurate. Um, but so what is the Bible is the first question we're going to wrestle with today. The second question flows directly from that. Why does the Bible matter? In 2014, this is a book that was written thousands of years ago. What relevance does this have to my life today? And then the final question is, if this is actually relevant to my life and it matters, then how can I begin to faithfully study it? We're going to talk about all three of those things today. So if you would, open a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the front of the pews in front of you. You can just grab one out of there. Turn towards the back of the Bible. We're going to go to 2 Peter. I know you were probably reading there this morning. Otherwise, you were in Habakkuk or something. Um, turn with me to 1 Peter. No, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. It's on page 1113 if you have my Bible. I know. Same joke, different day. Still funny to me. Why does the, you know, what is the Bible? What is scripture? Now, one of the things I want to point out, because we call, we call the Bible God's word, don't we? A lot of times we will use the, this term God's word synonymously with the Bible or with scripture. But it's interesting because we know by history, there's not a single theologian that would disagree that this book that we hold, which is ultimately comprised of 66 books, written over the span of some 1,600 years by over 40 different authors, we know that it had human authorship. So why do we call this God's word? Well, one of the reasons we call it God's word, probably the primary reason, is because these authors, we believe, were speaking prophetically when they wrote the scriptures. Now, when I say the word prophecy or prophetic, our minds automatically go to telling the future. Right? That's what we think of when we think of a prophet. Somebody who will tell me what will happen, kind of like in the movie Big, where you go to the little machine and it gives you your fortune cookie thing, and this is what's going to happen in my life. Not necessarily true. Prophecy does at times deal with, a prophet may sometimes tell what's going to come in the future, but that's not what that term actually means. A prophet is simply the most simple way to understand the term and the way that I'm going to be using this term. A prophet is somebody who speaks the words of God. 
Basically, this person is a spokesperson for God. God speaks through them. And that's the way that Peter is using that term when in this verse we're about to read, he's talking about those who have spoken prophetically. They were uttering the words of God that God laid on their heart. That is why, by the way, in the Old Testament, when somebody purported to speak for God and what they suggested was going to happen did not actually come about and it was shown that they were a false prophet, they were to be put to death. It was that big of a deal to purport yourself to be one who speaks for God. With that, let's read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, because Peter here is talking about the scriptures that we now hold in our hands. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, those men who, who penned the scriptures were not writing by their own mere human wisdom. These men were carried along by the, the, the Holy Spirit within them as they began to author these books. Now, when we say the word carried along, that is the same term that would be used of a sailing ship, you know, as they, they put their sails up. Ultimately, the captain doesn't dictate the wind. But the word carried along is the same word for the wind filling and pushing that sail. It's the wind ultimately that's moving it along. The captain has some ability to capture the wind and allow it to, to compel it forward or to just put the sail down altogether and ignore it. And in the same way, these authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they began to write. Now, also, however, we need to recognize that when these authors were writing, they were still using their human intellect, they were still using their personalities, their, their own type of writing style. I, anytime you read you know, something written by somebody, you, they have a unique writing style, and each of the authors of scripture have a unique writing style. You can tell what is written by Paul, what's written by Peter, what's written by John and James and all these guys. So we recognize that the authors, the people that were used had a part in this, and part of them is, is kind of recorded in scripture but ultimately it was God speaking through them hence we call it God's word uh, you don't need to turn there but Paul writing to Timothy in 2nd Timothy makes pretty much the same point in 2nd Timothy uh, three sixteen, he said all scripture is God breathed another way of saying that all scripture has been inspired by God and therefore, it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, God has inspired these scriptures, so therefore this is a training regimen. This is a way for us to be molded and matured so that we can be useful tools in the hand of our master to advance his kingdom. But I do want to point out that Scripture is more than just God's word. It's more than, let me rephrase that. Scripture is more than just a whole bunch of, of rules and thou shalt nots and prescriptions. I, I, I remember vividly uh, this teaching I gave at a church where I was talking about how the Bible is, are the basic instructions before leaving earth. I stole that from somewhere I heard. And it seemed like a really good, you know, say, hey, 
God is our designer, right? We're like cell phones. He's made us uniquely, and then he has given us the instruction manual for how we should live our life. So therefore, we should read this so that we understand how we've been designed and how we can live our life to the very best of the, our abilities. Great idea, but I'll be the first one to say I don't get all that excited about instruction manuals. Get a new computer? You better believe I don't crack the instruction manual. If I have an issue, I call Mark Strackett. I get a new cell phone, but the last thing I do is open the instruction manual. I just open the cell phone and start tinkering. The, about the only instructions I actually read are I, for, for Ikea furniture, and that's because they're pictures. <laughs> but also because I've tried really hard to put Ikea furniture together without instructions, and it is impossible. I can understand my wife before I could put those things together. You can tell that my wife's across the street helping with the children today. <laughs> it is safe. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so I will be the first to admit that when I begin to look at the Bible as the instruction manual for my life, is it any wonder that we don't get all that excited about reading it? But the Bible is so much more than just a bunch of pres prescriptions and thou shalt not. Certainly they're a part of it. Certainly there are things in here that help us speak directly to how we can live our lives, but there's more to the Bible than simply a bunch of thou shalt not. I would, I would suggest to you that the Bible is actually, a large portion of it is narrative. It's a story. Now, we, we, as we read through the Bible, very quickly you begin to see that there's lots of different characters. And anybody who's grown up in the church, you start hearing story after story. You hear about David and it fighting Goliath. You hear about you know, um, the, the Jews coming in and taking over the land and the fights that they had to fight and the way that God fought for them. And you hear about, the, you know, Peter walking on the water and all of those kind of things, story after story after story. And we might begin to think that really what the Bible is is just a whole bunch of stories about different people from a different culture and a different time interacting with God. And we might begin to think that, you know, People like David and people like Paul are the central characters of this book. But in reality, if we were to step back and look at scripture, it's true that God used those stories and highlighted those stories for a reason. And we can learn things from them, but if we step back for just a moment and, and, and don't look at them as the central characters and we begin to take in all of scripture as a whole, we'll begin to realize that all of those small stories, all of those small narratives are actually part of a much larger whole. And taken together, these small narratives form one grand meta-narrative, one huge epic story of which God is ultimately the central character. Can you throw that graphic up there for just a moment? So there, here's a picture of Jesus. But if you were to look very, very closely at this picture, you would begin to see that there are individual pictures. This is one of those photo mosaics that people put together. So every single pixel on here is a picture of somebody. But when you step back, all you see is Christ. All you see is God. And may I suggest that that's a lot like Scripture. When we look at it closely, when we look at just one passage, we might think that this story is about David or about Job. Or about Rahab. But when we stand back, we begin to realize that, no, this, this is a story about God. And these people had a part to play in it. But it is ultimately not about them. It's about him. So what is the Bible? The first question. 
It is God's word to us, speaking to us, cutting through the cacophony of other voices that scream and clamor for our attention. It is God speaking to us. And this is, I would suggest, it is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us today. Furthermore, it is a story about God's interaction with mankind. It is one epic story about a father in pursuit of his prodigal children. Which brings us to our second question of why does the Bible matter? Well, if we begin to recognize that the Bible is God's story and God is actually the author of it, so he's the one revealing himself, the Bible is one of the clearest ways that we can understand the heart of our infinite God. As we begin to read scripture, the Bible reveals his heart in the ways that he interacted with his people, in the ways that he dealt with sin. The Bible, this grand story reveals a God who is both holy and yet loving. A God who transcends space and time, who created everything and yet has chosen to be imminently involved, intimately involved in our lives knows the very hairs on our head. A father who is both just and therefore he cannot turn a blind eye to our sin and simply ignore it, and yet is still so loving and grace-filled that he would be willing to step down and take upon himself the penalty that we've earned for ourselves. That is the picture of our God that Scripture reveals. So why is scripture important? First off, because it reveals God's heart to us. But I would suggest that that's not the only thing that scripture does. Scripture also acts, and if you want to, turn with me to um, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Because the Bible does not simply reveal God's heart to us. I would suggest that the Bible does, in fact, reveal our hearts as well. We don't just read scripture. Sometimes scripture actually reads us acts kind of like a a mirror for our souls, revealing what's really there. In the book of Hebrews, it's toward the end of the Bible, chapter 4. The author of Hebrews says this about Scripture. He says, the word of God, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is alive and active. It's not some dead book that was written thousands of years ago that is now just kind of written on blank white paper. It's alive and active. And I would suggest that that's done because of the Holy Spirit working in us and moving through the scripture and pulling things out that have a lot to do with what's going on in our own lives. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. For anybody who's ever touched a double-edged sword, they're sharp. They cut stuff very easily. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It cuts to the heart of things. And he goes on to say, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. In a lot of ways, this Bible not only reveals God's heart, but this begins to reveal our heart as God takes portions of it and through the Holy Spirit begins to impress things upon us and says, hey, here's what I want to say to you right now. Here's what I want to encourage you. Probably one of the most vivid times I can remember scripture speaking to me, I I had just resigned my position um, at the the previous church that I was at. Not because of any 
issues other than I had been trying to minister to other people out of the dregs of my own life. And as I've been trying to minister to other people, I had been completely neglecting my own relationship with God. And he brought me to a point where I began to recognize what a dry, emaciated relationship with him I really had. And he said, it's time to trust me. It's time to jump out of this mess, and it's time to follow me into the wilderness for a little bit. And I remember sitting at home on my couch, tears of failure coursing down my cheeks, just feeling like I have failed. And now I've got a wife and a one-year-old son. How the heck am I going to, you know, you know, supply for them? I've got responsibilities, and yet I just feel like God has called me out. And, uh, and my relationship with him is just, uh, my relationship, quite honestly, with my wife is just pretty low point. And God led me to Psalm 23. And just the first verses of that were like he was speaking directly to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now that's something I I need to know that you're going to provide for my family, God. Because I don't know how I'm going to do it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't it funny how sometimes we need to be forced to lie down? And he was forcing me to lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And I felt like God take those verses and just kind of press them into my heart and say, I am in the process of restoring your soul. So Eric, be still. Don't try to get out of this. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to go find another job. Just be still. Trust me. And he had to keep bringing me back to that passage for the next several months as I kind of wrestled with that posture of being still and just allowing him to care for me and restore my soul. I mean, it it felt like wherever I turn, I go to some random church to sit in on a message and they were speaking on Psalm 23. It's like, really? Okay, I get it. I get it. Be still. All right. Scripture can and does speak into our lives as the Holy Spirit takes things from it and makes, light, makes sense of it in light of the things that are going on. It is not some dull, dead work of, of people who lived centuries ago that has little to do with our lives. It has everything to do with our lives. This is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. And to simply neglect it because we're too busy is to set ourselves up to be like people trying to pilot a ship without a rudder or perhaps even without a, a mast. You know, we're just not going to go very anywhere very quickly. We're going to be carried along by the, the capriciousness of the, the waves. So what is the Bible? It's God's word speaking through the cacophony of other voices in this world that are trying to tell us what we should be, how we should live, what matters, what our values should be. And it speaks to our heart. It's also a story of God's interaction with his people, revealing the heart of God. So why does it matter? Because it reveals our infinite God's heart for us. And it can reveal our own heart as well, if we allow it to. Which leads us to our final question. How should we approach this? How can we faithfully study scripture? And and quite honestly, I cannot give 
a, a comprehensive explanation this morning. I would love to. And in fact, as soon as um, Giving Peace University, Giving Peace, Financial Peace University, <laughs> whatever, uh, give, peace a, give Peace a chance. As soon as Financial Peace University is finished, I, my plan is I'd like to do a three or four week uh, study on how to really study scripture, probably after services for a few weeks. If that's something that you'd be interested in being a part of and you're like, yes, I would love to take a more intensive look at how to study scripture, just go ahead and indicate that on your connection card. And when you drop it in today, I will, I'll kind of have an idea if, if there's anybody else that would be interested in that, and then we'll do that. Um, but today, I just want to give you four clear and simple suggestions for how we can go about approaching this word, God's word to us. How can we be, can begin to faithfully study scripture? These are going to be revolutionary and groundbreaking, so I hope you have a pen ready. <laughs> Suggestion number one, get a Bible. <laughs> if you don't have one, get one. If you have one, use it. Revolutionary, I know this is groundbreaking. It, and by the way, for those of you who, who you're like, well, I'm, I've got one, but it's like, it's in a language I don't even fully understand. You know, it's like the old King James Version and it's these and nows, and I never even could go through Shakespeare in high school. I just don't understand it. Okay, well, perhaps it's time for a different translation. And I, this is going to be very brief, but every single Bible that we have that's in English is a translation of the original languages. I know that's shocking to you that this isn't actually what Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't speak English, shockingly. And so what the translators have to do every time that they try to put together a biblical translation is they have to try to take the message that is articulated through scripture and translate it into a language that the reader can understand. We're actually helping support a couple of missionaries that are doing this for cultures that at this point still don't even have a Bible. We, the, the marshals that we support as a church are doing this for some people in Papua New Guinea. They're putting together the New Testament so they can have it. But we have, which is great, you know, and we celebrate that. We have myriad translations to choose from. So how the heck do you even choose which one to do? Very briefly, let me explain to you the different choices that they have to make. Some translators say, I want to get as close as I possibly can to the original words that were spoken. Even if it sounds a little bit like Yoda's speaking, we're still going to translate it exactly like it is. So you have translations like the, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, or NASV, the New American Standard Bible, that are all about trying to get as close to the letter of the original languages as possible. The King James and New King James Version are very similar to that. They tend to be more over in this area of trying to get as close to the original words as they possibly can. On the other side of the spectrum, you have translators that say, I'm not really all that concerned with staying as close to the original words as I want the heart. What was this author trying to say? What was the spirit saying through him when he said these things? And so you have translations like the message or the new living Bible and others that are trying to get as close to the heart of it and they kind of unhitch the wagon from those words, and instead they're kind of more paraphrases of what's being said. And then you have translators that say, this is important, but I really want people to be able to understand the heart of it, so I want to make it as accessible as possible, so we're going to try to 
bridge the gap. We're going to try to do both of those things. We're going to try to stay close to the original language, but at the same time, get the original heart of it. And there are a lot of translations that do that. The NIV is one of them, probably that does it about the best, which is why I have chosen, and we have chosen as a church, to really lean into the NIV because it tries to bridge that gap and do both of those things. I love to read, lately I've been reading a lot of the, the New Living Translation in my devotional time because it's fresh, because I'm so familiar with the NIV. For some of you, you're so familiar with the King James Version that reading a new translation is fresh and exciting, and so maybe that's a way to kind of spice up your, your devotional time. Try a different translation. But for those of you who are like, I don't even know where to begin or what to read, I would suggest we begin with how you choose your translation. I've got a stack of NIV Bibles back there. If you don't have one, I'll give you a Bible today. It's, it's, I believe that much in just get yourself a Bible. Okay, so the first step in proper biblical study is to have a Bible. Revolutionary. The second step, and this one is, is just as groundbreaking, the second step in proper biblical study is to read your Bible. You knew that one was coming, yeah. Robert, thank you. I know a lot of us are like, I don't, I don't know how to. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't, I'm not a theologian or a pastor. You guys have special knowledge that helps you to understand Scripture. And true, understanding the background and stuff does help to make sense of some of the things we read. But I will point out that the Scripture was never intended to simply be something that belongs only to those in ivory towers. In fact, if you, look, if you were to read the New Testament in its original language, and you could actually do that, the New Testament was not written in the Greek that, say, Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. That would be the, the Greek that was for the educated populace. The original testaments, the original letters were written in Koine Greek, which is the same conversational Greek that regular people would be speaking in the marketplace. In other words, it was intended for the masses. It should be understandable. The problem is sometimes those of us who spend far too much time studying and reading other things, we don't get excited about the most obvious interpretation of something. We get all excited about some new interpretation. And so we run with that and we present that as if that's the real meaning of it. And if, you know, so we almost make you dependent upon us to give you the right answer because we're bringing something that's radically different than what you would normally think it's saying. May I suggest to you that somebody who is bringing a new teaching on something that doesn't flow out of the actual scriptures is probably wrong. They're probably reading into that something that's not actually there because either they're prideful or because they're bored and they just want to kind of spice things up for themselves. The most obvious meaning of a scripture is probably the correct interpretation of it. So if, if there are ways in which I have gotten in the way and tried to make scripture say something that it actually doesn't, then I need to repent of that. And I'm sorry for any ways that I have misinterpreted scripture simply because I was looking for something that was different than what you've heard before. Scripture should be accessible to all of us, especially because we have the Holy Spirit within us who makes sense of these things for us and can pull things from them. So the best, single best way to become a better connoisseur, a better uh, understanding of your Bible is to actually read the Bible. 
And for those of you who have never read it at all, may I suggest you start in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because they actually tell about the life of Jesus in a narrative. They reveal God, because Jesus himself is the best human representation of God. He was God in human flesh. There's this really interesting passage. We're going to get to it later on in this study where, where Jesus is talking with some guys and he goes, you know, you, you look to the scriptures as if they're going to give you life, but those scriptures talk about me and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Another place Jesus said, you know, he, he's walking with some of his disciples after he's been resurrected. They don't even recognize him. And, he, and step by step, he begins to show them how scriptures all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament pointed to him. So anyway, um, read. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you, and chances are the most obvious interpretation of that scripture is the right one. So don't feel like you need to have some special knowledge, some special training to be able to do that. Third step, and this one is, is an important one, actually. This is probably the biggest thing that helps me to be able to, to pull things from scripture that sometimes you guys don't see. And that is we need to respect and pay attention to the context. Far too often, I think, some of us approach Scripture as a magic eight ball. God, should I ask this person out on a date? Okay. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God I give you today and carefully follow them, you will always be on the top, never on the bottom. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Interesting. But don't we do that with scripture sometimes? It's almost like we just kind of want, we want, wow. We want it to say something to us, and so we are willing to just grab a verse out of its context, completely devoid of, of the actual conversation, and we just kind of say, what does it say to me now? That's our first, we think that's the first step is what does it say to me now? When in reality, the first step is actually what was the original author saying to the original people in their context? Before we understand that, we may misunderstand what this is saying. We have to remember that the Bible, although inspired by God, was written by real people to a real audience undergoing real circumstances. And we, it's helpful to know who they were and the circumstances that they were in before we begin to try to just shove it into our, you know, 21st century context. Furthermore, we all know that you can take I anybody who's ever watched the news or something and seen the way that they will eviscerate a politician's message simply by taking one thing they said and that's all you hear about and you never actually hear about their whole conversation. You can take one line out of something anybody says and make them say something that they did not intend to say at all. And sometimes we do that with scripture. We like to take a verse out of the context of the paragraph it's in, out of the context of the overall conversation it's a part of, and then interpret it any way we want. And when we do that, we can make scripture say anything that we want it to. Uh, there's a devotion I love to read by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. It's probably the one whenever I'm like, I just, I just want a devotion this morning. I, that's the one I open up. Some of you guys have the daily bread. A lot of times in this, what Oswald does is there is either a verse or even half of a verse 
at the top of the page, and then there's kind of his thoughts throughout the rest of the page. What I do in order to help me have the context for that verse is I'll, the first thing I do is I read that verse, I go back and I find it in its context, and I will read the entire chapter that it's found in. Sometimes I'll realize that I'm jumping in mid-conversation, so I'll back up even two chapters, and I'll read those two chapters leading up so that I can understand that verse within its larger context. And when I do that, chances are I'm not going to misinterpret that, that to mean something other than what the original author meant it to. Does that make sense? Because be, if we're not grounding the scripture that we're reading in its context, both historical as well as literary, then we can make it say anything we want it to. There's actually a book um, called The Bible Tells Me So that has done that. They've traced the ways people have used the Bible to support just about anything they want. Women's liberation and keeping women in their place. Um, you know, slavery, either abolishing it or supporting slavery. You know, striking down homosexuality and supporting homosexuality. The Bible can be misused and abused to say anything anybody wants so long as we are willing to disregard the context. Context is terribly important. And simply reading verses within the larger context of where they're written and then asking some questions like, well, who's writing this? Who are they writing to? And what were the circumstances? And that's something that a, a good study Bible can give you the answers to. At the beginning of every book, they always have some intro stuff that talks about who's writing it, what were the circumstances, who were they writing, and why were they writing. Those are very helpful keys to being able to understand the context of whatever verse you're reading. Okay, get a Bible, read your Bible, pay attention to the context, and then the final suggestion I would have for you is begin to act on what you read. There's this... James, the half-brother of Jesus, in, in the book that's attributed to him, the book that he wrote, he says this at the beginning of James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Revolutionary stuff here. Don't merely listen to the word, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, anyone who pays attention to the gospel message and this law of love and actually acts upon it, continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Jesus put it this way. If you obey my teaching, then you truly are my disciples. If you obey my teaching, then you really are a follower. Then you truly are a Christ follower. It's not enough to pay lip service. If you do what I'm telling you to do, then you're actually my disciple. And he continues then, if you obey, then you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. I think that it's far too easy sometimes to pay lip service. I'm a Christian. I like to show up to church two or three times a month. I'll throw some money in the plate. Jesus, I love him. He's my savior. I, he, I want him to be my Lord. 
but we're not actually willing to obey the things that he's placing on our heart. We're not actually willing to follow him. The invitation for all of us is not merely to be listeners of the word, but doers. That we would allow the things that we read and the, the, the ways that the Holy Spirit begins to impress this scripture into our hearts to allow this scripture to begin to shape and mold our lives, to shape and mold the ways that we view ourselves, the way we view other people, our values and the things that we spend our time on. And if we're willing to do that, then we actually will have lives that will shine in the darkness. We will actually be leading lives that will be attractive and attractional to other people that want to ask us the question, what's different about you? That's my desire for our church. That we wouldn't just glean more knowledge, more information about Jesus, but that we would be transformed. Now, um, we are about to embark on a 15-week, or we are embarking on a 15-week study through Scripture. The goal of which would be a better understanding of this grand epic narrative, a better understanding of the God that Scripture reveals, and a better understanding of what it is that we believe. I think there's a lot of us who we, we're comfortable with the New Testament. We've read a lot of that. But we, wouldn't even, we don't have a clue about the Old Testament. It's, it's old. So it, therefore, you know, it doesn't have as much bearing. But I will tell you, I used to have that attitude until I took a class on the Old Testament. And suddenly my eyes were open to just how much richer the New Testament was in light of that. It's kind of like letting my boys watch the last Star Wars, the, you know, the, the Return of the Jedi, without having watched the first two. I don't count the first three as the first three. They're the last three. If I hadn't, if they hadn't watched, it, when I'm going to show my sons, when it's time, because we started and then we realized, no, Ethan's not ready to learn about people with lightsabers. That's not a good thing yet. <laughs> I'm probably a little too young for that too. But when I start showing my boys the Star Wars trilogy, we're going to begin with A New Hope. Because I want them to have the context by the time we get to the Empire, or the, the Return of the Jedi, I want them to understand all that's come before so that it'll matter as more. And in the same way, I love the New Testament. It has a ton to say to us, but it is so much richer because of my understanding of the Old Testament narrative that, that precedes it, that informs it. So over the next couple of months, we are going to be working through the Old Testament and looking at the ways in which that is a precursor that in the ways in which the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And then we're going to look at the New Testament and the ways that it is explaining how we should live in light of the cross. My goal is kind of like, you know, my boys love to color right now, and I oftentimes will just give them a piece of paper, and they'll just kind of scribble all over the page because really, draw a picture. What picture? I don't know. So they'll just kind of scribble, and it ends up looking like nothing. But if I were to give my boys this... Color this picture. Now they have an understanding. Oh, okay, it's a shepherd with his sheep praying. Okay, and then they get the crayons out, and then they can choose whether or not to color within the lines. I'll let you guess which one they choose most often. But this is what we are going to be constructing over the next 15 weeks. 
is an outline that we can begin to have a better understanding of the word of God. So that when we are up here talking about topical stuff, we know where those things fit. We know how it all fits together. We know why we call Jesus the Lamb of God. And all those other kind of things. Easter will have a different meaning in light of our understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system. The new covenant of grace will have a new meaning in light of the Old, covenant, uh, the Old Testament covenants with Abraham and Moses. We're going to look at them and we're going we're to discuss why. This conversation is a big one, and it's not one that we're going to just have here on Sunday mornings. They are going to continue in many of the small groups throughout the week. At the back, out in the hallway, uh, are books like this. For those of you who are currently in a small group, you've, already t- you've probably already talked about it with your small group. We're going to be going through this. This is uh, some materials that we've put together to guide us over the next 15 weeks. The first four pages of it are a curriculum that will be aligned to this week's conversation. So when you get it, don't get overwhelmed that there's lots of paper in here. Just look at the first four pages. And it's going to help lead us out of today into a conversation that you'll have this week in your homes and here. And then the, the following material after that will be used. Each week there's a different chapter that will correspond to the conversation we're having in church. And it'll be a conversation you'll continue in small group. Now there are some of you here who are not currently in a small group. This is the perfect time to get in one if you're not in one. There's a couple of small groups I would direct you towards. The first one is if you are a guy and you're looking for a group to be in with other guys, John Whiteman leads one just in this room in here on Wednesday nights beginning at 7 p.m. I'd encourage you to check that one out. If you're a couple or, you know, you just you want to study this with other people and you don't necessarily want it to be just guys, you'd actually like to have both genders represented, uh, the Flessings have a group that meets upstairs on Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. You're welcome to join that. They have some space. If Wednesday or Thursday doesn't work for you, we do have some groups that meet on Tuesday. If you would like to get plugged into a group, you can do one of two things. One... I'm going to have John and the Flessings standing at the back, and you can meet them. They'll be out in the hallway. Two, you can just indicate it on your connection card. I'd like to get plugged into a group. Here's the night I'm available, and I will make sure you get plugged into a group this week so you can start this conversation. For those of you who are currently in a group, grab this before you leave. For those of you who are not in a group that want to be in a group, I've got a few extra copies of this that I can give you today so you can begin preparing for that. For those of you who aren't in a group at all and would like to study this, let me know and I'll make some more more copies of this so that you can be following along, but you're not participating. I'd like you to do this in groups. All right, right, that's all I've got for today. Um, Let me pray for us. We're going to go ahead and and respond. But I'm excited. I I hope that you guys get excited about this because I feel like this will give us some, some handles on what could otherwise feel a little bit overwhelming. So I'm really excited for this adventure we're going to be going on through the the big epic narrative of God. Let's pray. Father, I am really grateful that you not only created us and desire a relationship with us, but that you desire to be known by us. That you've given us the scripture, that you have breathed into people and inspired them to, to pen these so that we can know more about you. So ultimately, we can recognize your voice and follow you. And God, I'm excited for us to find our part in this story because really this isn't just about them there. We get to play a part in this. I pray that over the course of these next 15 weeks, you would reveal what our part in that looks like. 
thank you for loving us. Thank you for desiring relationship. We want to know you more. Not just know more about you. We want to know you more. And we want to be your ambassadors of hope and reconciliation in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. Help us to be light that shines in the darkness. Jesus, in your holy name.